The countdown's on, MP. Damo, the biggest and best wellness summit ever is fast approaching. Don't miss out on the entertainment. The education. The edutainment that is the wellness summit. Featuring for the very first time at the summit, the Merrymaker sisters, Carla and Emma Pappas, and the 2013 Bachelor himself, the incredible chiropractor and sharp mover, Mr. Tim Robards, plus all of your wellness couch favorites. And wait for it, Damo. All 22 podcasts on the couch will be in attendance at the summit. Wow. So take your digital wellness couch experience and make it a real-life one at the transformational, inspirational, sensational 16 hours of Powerhouse Wellness Summit at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. September 10 and 11. More information and tickets available at www.thewellnesssummit.com. Now, before you go, Damo, there's a big competition on as of now. Every single person who registers before a 11.59pm on Sunday, August 14, goes into the draw to win a double pass to the inaugural 2016 Wellness Couch Awards Night. Amazing. You'll join the who's who of the Wellness Couch as we present for the very first time the best new podcast, most popular episode, most popular the host, the best hair, of course, MP, most awkward moment, and many more sensational awards at this night of fun and wellness frivolity. But you must enroll, folks, by August 14. Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest things that are most important to you. I don't even know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Up For A Chat. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Kim Morrison. And now Cindy is away doing fantastic stuff, but Kimmy and I have got some amazing shizzle to talk to you about. And I think we've got, oh, geez, we've had like the most amazing couple of weeks and it's been so full on with so much stuff. Kimmy and I were just actually having a quick catch up now. And I think that's why I had to start the whole introduction with I stop it. <laughs> You're adorable. <laughs> oh my gosh. So much can happen with us when we're apart from each other for four weeks. It's insane. I know, I know. So you have been over in Paris and we've got so much to talk about about that. There's been so much happening back here with Ken, uh, with Cindy and with me and we've got so much to talk about with that. But there's something that I think is right at the forefront of most people's minds right now about what's happening in the world. And I don't know, like you log onto Facebook or social media and all I see is the giant battle between Hillary Clinton and um, what's his name? (laughs) Yeah, Trump. Trump. (laughs) And it's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever – I've never seen anything like it. I thought our political battles – were the most ridiculously childish, pathetic, um, gun-slinging, mud-slaying, I don't even know what else to say about it. But now that I'm seeing what's happening in the States and how ridiculous it is there, it's like our ridiculousness times a thousand. Mm. And then you look at everything else that's happening on the planet. Like even when you were overseas, Kimmy, there was the – there was that, that, that dreadful occurrence in Nice where that boy took hold of a truck and just decided to drive it through the crowd. Mm. And, you know, it was particularly close to mine and Matt's heart because where it happened was right where Matt and I stayed when we were in Nice a couple of years back. Yeah. So when we saw the vision of it, we were just like, no, you can't, not there. You can't do anything so tragic there. And mm. it's, it, it's it, the sad part about those sorts of occurrences, I think, is that it leaves a scar. It leaves a permanent emotional scar. And I, and I wonder what the spiritual effect of that is and the energetic effect of that is. But that's, yeah. that scar is there permanently now. It's, it's never not going to be there. It's never not going to be a day that won't be remembered. Do you know, it was really fascinating, actually. Here I was in a beautiful part of the world, and I remember waking up that morning on Bastille Day, and I looked out the window of my beautiful little room, and I saw I was going to go for a run, and I saw there was like a couple of vans filled with police 
in these vans outside this beautiful, quiet little town in Provence. And I kind of got a fright because it's not something that we down under really experience a lot, particularly in a really little quiet town called Seoul. So here I was and I looked out and I thought, oh, maybe I don't feel like going for a run. And they were all getting in and out of these two trucks and they had their guns, which is always a bit disconcerting anyway when you see that. But anyway, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Anyway, we went down for breakfast and I said to everybody, I didn't go for a run, I ended up doing a meditation instead. Isn't it funny, I kind of went into, oh, I think I need to stay stay quite, you know, within myself. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm sitting there at breakfast and I said, oh, did everybody notice the police outside? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, yeah, but it's just for the Tour de France because the Tour de France cyclists were going around our village. So I was like, oh, is that all it was kind of thing? Right. Then that day, we did a whole day of lessons and learnings, and then that night, we all were in the little village for Bastille Day, which was just a beautiful little celebration. It was actually freezing cold that particular night for us. I don't know why the temperature just completely dropped. Mm. So it was quite airy. There wasn't lots and lots of people that they were expecting, and there was all these fairy-go-rounds and Oh, sorry, merry-go-rounds and these and these playgrounds and these little things for all these kids. But everybody was so cold, and it was a sad. It was a shame actually because you could tell that people weren't out and about because of how cold it was. Anyway, I went to bed probably about ten o'clock after another little rosé. Oh, and, um, darling, did you, did, you just, did you just cover the rosé? Stroffer, <laughs> Anyway, we're sitting there, say good night, and my flat, my my gorgeous roommate and I fell off to sleep. Well, for some reason, I had not put my Wi-Fi. I normally switch it off when I go to bed, and I hadn't switched it off. And at about 2.33 o'clock that morning, all of a sudden, I noticed my phone kind of flashing, and I looked, there was eight messages. Hope you're okay. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible what's happened. Holy heck, Kim, are you all right? Please let us know. And I was like, wow, what's going on? And not one of those eight messages actually had said what had happened. So then I go onto the BBC World, and I'm looking at it, and then I realise what's happened that evening, just a couple of hours beforehand in Nice. Now, we were 200 kilometres from Nice, but it felt really weird. Uh-huh. Everywhere I travelled in France, everybody had massive machine guns, the, these young men dressed in army outfits with their fingers on a trigger. They walked in groups of six, it seemed, at every train station. Everywhere I walked and came and everywhere we went, there was just this, a huge presence presence of of police or military or whatever it was and so for that to happen on Bastille Day um, all around their independence and then for this to occur I thought about you instantly I thought about the timing in life where where we all are at certain times of the world when things happen I mean the last time I was in Paris when I arrived, everybody's going, oh, have you been to Paris before? And I had to say to everybody, the last time I was in Paris was the day Lady Diana died or was killed oh, or however you want to look at it. And I was 10 weeks pregnant. So my feeling of Paris and France was very different 18 years ago to what it was on this particular day. So, yeah, my darling, I have to – and I did want to ask you because when I was sitting there, obviously far enough away from Nice to not be – physically, mentally, emotionally involved. But from a spiritual level where you alluded to it just recently, because you know what, within 24 hours, Karen, the next minute on the news was that Turkey had been taken over with a military coup. Mm. Uh, Then there was in Munich, there was gun slaying, there was knifings around uh, somewhere else, two two attacks in in, in Germany. And all of a sudden I thought I wanted to ask you, from a mental, emotional, but more importantly, spiritual level, what is the karma on our planet? What is what is actually happening here? Have you given it any thought? Do you know, it's funny actually that you should ask me that because I do think of it a lot. And um, I try not to think of it from the context of suffering. I try not to let myself go to that, um, you know, to really fall into that deep sadness because then it's, you know, it's very hard for me to bring myself out of that. Um, When I, it's it's almost as if the planet becomes hypersensitive. You know, when we we, we hear and see of things like that, it's almost like it becomes this hypersensitivity that occurs and we, um, 
it forces us to stop and actually look and see what's happened. So, you know, I think that from a spiritual perspective, this, there's, there's a, well, I don't know, Kimmy, it's just such a, it's such a complex issue. Like I look at, I look at the people who are perpetrating the crimes mm-hmm. and, you know, in Nice, whether it was terrorism or it wasn't terrorism, it was one crazed person in a, in a truck who decided that they wanted to take out a whole bunch of people. You know, we can make it race-related, we can make it religion-related, and there is a consistency in that that, you know, nobody can ignore. There is a consistency in, in, in the terrorism attacks and those sorts of killings from, from a race and a religion perspective, but it certainly doesn't mean that everybody in that race and religion is tarred with the same brush mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that um, the part that we're missing as humans is that these people think that they're doing the right thing. Mm. You know, we just go into this state of retaliation or we go into this state of resilience and repair instantly. And these these people think that, that they're doing the right thing. They don't think that they're doing the wrong thing. The way that they've been trained and the way that they've been conditioned it's just more extreme to the way that we've been conditioned. I mean, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting the animals. We are hurting this planet just as devastatingly. And we think that we're doing the right things, but our purpose is profit. Their purpose is religion or their purpose is fanaticism for whatever, or extremism for whatever the reason is. Everybody has their own purpose for the destruction that, that they wage on the planet and they wage on themselves, they wage on each other. It's just that these guys are just doing it more overtly and they're actually taking out of a hell of a lot more people at the same time, like actually taking them out, finishing them off and doing a lot more injury, whereas ours is a very slow, um, insidious destruction, um, you know, in the Western cultures. So I think that... There is a, um, I think that there's a, a new face of forgiveness that's actually necessary when we look at the destruction that we, that we cause ourselves and the destruction that is caused through terrorism. I think that nobody is actually believing that they are doing the wrong thing. They believe that they're all doing the right thing. So in their mind, they're not looking for forgiveness. When they're not looking for love, they're not looking for compassion, they're not looking for support, they're not looking for anything other than, in actual fact, acceptance. Because what they believe they're doing is right. But there's this, you know, and, and with, without going into how, you know, our governments inflame the situation, because a lot of the situation that we're in right now from a terrorist perspective is because of our governments and because of the battle over oil, profits, money, you know, economic stability, all of that is over oil and it's over, uh, over the ownership and the right to claim it, which is where terrorism started in the first place. Do you know, like from a, um, I, I guess terrorism isn't a modern phenomena. I mean, no. it has been going on for centuries and centuries. And yeah. someone mentioned it when I was away. Um, you know, the whole Guy Fawkes thing was a failed attempt at reinstating a Catholic monarch. And I just mm. thought, oh, my gosh, here we were. We've always celebrated Guy Fawkes on mm. November the 5th. Um, but I never really thought about the symbolism and why we burned things and had mm. firecrackers. And it's kind of weird and sick, really, when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's certainly not a new phenomena, is it? And for no. you to sit, for, for us to sit here in this world and say it's based on hatred, it seems you just said something before, it's more politically or financially mm. um, aimed. Is, is that the right yeah. way of looking at it? Uh, it you know, it, it's where it's all started, politically, financially, religion. It's been going on since God was in small pants almost, you know. It's almost <laughs> – and it's just that now we have far more sophisticated weaponry. But people were always taking each other out if they didn't agree. And – now it's just that the, the weaponry is far more sophisticated and it's able to take out far more lives and the impact is far greater. And 
because of social media as well, now we're seeing a lot more, whereas the media was very much in control of what we saw and what we didn't see. And um, now social media kind of trumps traditional media, so everybody sees everything. So now the media has to show it. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I think that the whole way that it's being handled from a governmental perspective in the responses to terrorism where they say, we will fight for our freedom, we will not, we will not succumb, you cannot take away our freedom, it's not that. It's not that people are saying, it's not that other religions are saying that they want to take away our freedom. Certainly there are beliefs about infidels and, you know, who should and shouldn't be here. But I, I think that um, if, if we can look at it from the perspective of forgiveness is not what they're asking for. It's not forgiveness. It's just acceptance. And through acceptance can come harmony where people can live in harmony with each other. Or if they don't, if they, if they can't live in harmony with each other, they just don't interact. They don't have an interaction necessity, but there's not the, there's not the, um, the fear. And that's why it's called terrorism because it's about terror. It's about creating terror in the hearts and the minds of the people that it affects. But the people who are actually doing it, they have the same terror. You know, they have, this, they have the belief that if they don't do this, then great dangers and great traumas will occur upon them. So they live in the same terror. They live in the same fear. So, I mean, you know, you can imagine it goes directly against human instinct to kill people. And if somebody is in their right mind, I mean, if they're not in their right mind, it's a whole different conversation. But if somebody is in their right mind, to go against human instinct and to take the lives of many or to take the lives of even one, there has to be something seriously happening in terms of brainwashing or or conditioning, more is a better word, of conditioning to make the person believe that that's right and so, to, to take their own life along with it, you know. So you know, the question I keep asking myself with terrorism and things like this, and, and we certainly didn't want to do this podcast as a depressing kind of conversation, but it's something that we've all talked about and therefore mm. it was something that's very important. But, you know, it has the whole war on terrorism actually made the world any safer, any more peaceful, no. any more happier. So what is the point of it, Karen? Well, you think of everything that we go to war on. We go to war on drugs. We go to war on teenage pregnancy. We go to war on abortion. We go to war on political parties. We go to war on ourselves. We go to war on terror. We go to war on um, fast food. We go to war on... Um, on bacon we go to war you know we go to war on just about everything and everything that we resist persists so if you look at the planet now the planet is nowhere near as safe as what it used to be and i think now because it's the the the, the exposure of it is so prolific that now there are more people finding license or seeing license in being able to take these extreme acts because it is, you know, there's so much profile around all of it now. So I think that, no, it hasn't made it any safer. I think all that it's done is it's made the planet um, collectively more... in terror, you know, I, I th- you know what I relate this to, and it's it's, it's a little bit left of centre. But when I was a kid, I grew up in South Africa, and I was right in the middle of apartheid when um, the blacks and the whites were, you know, one hundred percent against each other. And I remember my brother made a comment when we first came out to Australia, and he said it was never hate. He said it was always fear. <laughs> the whites were always fearful of the blacks because the blacks were so oppressed by the whites so oppressed they had no voice they were they were second class citizens and that you know stemmed from dutch religion and because of that massive oppression there were some people in the black communities that wanted to fight for their own voice they wanted to fight for their own um place on the you know on the planet and that fighting was aggressive because they didn't know what else to do and when we were kids, you know, we used to have burglar bars on the windows. My dad used to have to work, walk us to school, even though we only lived, you know, five houses away from school. 
And we could never be out without my parents. Even, you know, when my dad's gone back to South Africa, he's been accosted. There's been knives pulled on him and guns and, you know, the, the, the tension there has been in extreme. And I look at that and I think, you know, it was never, it was never hate because it's not, you know, it's not a human instinct to hate. Fear, however, fear can disguise itself beautifully as hatred. And I think that there's this, um, there's this necessity, and, oh God, and it's such a circular conversation because I was looking at something the other day about uh, um, uh, the Russian president Putin. I don't know if you've seen that yeah. on social media. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was talking to the Australian um, minister yeah. and saying, you know, why? Uh, 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 sorry, not the Australian, the American um, minister of defence, saying, you know, are, are they intending to threaten Russia? And they said, no, 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 we're not intending to threaten Russia. We just do what we do with the military to create jobs. And Putin started laughing and he said, you're very, you're very clever in the way that you manipulate your sentence. He said, but don't take me for a fool. He said, why would you be creating jobs in an industry that potentially threatens the life of the, of the planet? Mm. Why would you want to create a, a jobs in that industry? And, and, it's, and, and see, unfortunately... It's that whole perpetuation of the fear which keeps people saying, yes, we need more protection, yes, we need more protection, but then, of course, in the end, it all comes back to a political and financial gain because if the governments and the newspapers and the media keep perpetuating that it's fear, that we need to fight for our freedom and that we need to hate these people and we need to, you know, we need to stand up for ourselves and, you know, then that that perpetuates the community's support of more gunfire, more machinery, more military, more, you know, support. And then, of course, that creates the jobs, which creates the money, which then, you know, eventually goes back to the shareholders who own those munitions companies and military companies and so on. And at the, at the end of the day, when you look at the people who are the shareholders, they're the people who are in government. So, you know, I, to, to, to think that it's actually a... It's a com- it's a community issue now, for sure. Originally, it started through political drive and through religious drive, but now it's a community issue, and now it's also an energetic issue collectively on the planet. And unfortunately, we don't have a government that is foresighted enough or forward thinking enough to to put in place a recovery strategy. You know, when I my first encounter with real terrorism, and I'm, you know, our listeners will know, I'm not politically in tune. I'm not necessarily religiously in tune. I, I come from the mum at home with her kids, and just wants a beautiful, safe place and a beautiful place that we can call home. And I'll never forget it. I'm sure many of of our listeners will agree with this. But when the whole 9-11 attack occurred, Mm. I was sitting on my exocycle and I said to Danny, I'll never forget it, oh, my gosh, look at this new movie. That's Look at this. Like I remember just turning on the news and going, look at this movie of a plane going into a building. Oh, bless. Yeah, I know. How ridiculous. And he goes, what? And then he's looking at it and he goes, Holy shit, Kim! That's not a that's not a movie. And all of a sudden, I realised my little bubble of a world that I lived in was completely ruptured. And mm. then when I started trying to understand, you know, in the time that came afterwards, what was it all about? And uh, you know, I've always questioned if Al Qaeda's objectives were to destroy America. Well, obviously, it just made them stronger on one level. Absolutely. But if the goal was to to really intimidate America and create huge publicity around it, then I reckon that was a complete success. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's so, so sad that these big powerhouses can use humans as these pawns, for want of another word, or to encourage and inspire people to want to do suicide bombings or to kill themselves in the name of, of a cause or a, 
a political edge. And I guess with the internet, we have such a different array. It's not just print and media and television now. It is a 24-7 global spectacle. So, you know, I mean, for me, as an example, lying there at 2.33 o'clock in the morning getting these texts, I instantly go onto the internet, I go to the BBC, and there's a whole, it's already on the ground reports and film and footage, Mm. and I kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm completely ignorant, but a part of me wanted to just I'll give you an example. Fiona, the girl I was rooming with, she's Irish, so she's very, you know, obviously aware of of politics and, and, you know, Iraq, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Irish issues that they've always had there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she woke up and she goes, are you all right, love? And I went, oh, gosh, Fiona, there's, there's been a, a terrorist attack, it looks like, in Nice. And she goes, no. And I said, lots of people are killed and, you know, like this. And I just thought, and she goes, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it right now. Night, night. And she's literally oh. rolled over and went back to sleep. Now, what could I do in that moment, lying there, worried, thinking about it, getting myself into a right stew? I'm not saying I didn't think about it. I'm not saying we should turn a blind eye. But look at the two reactions there of two people. Totally. And, and it was really interesting. And then when she woke up, I said to her, oh, my gosh, how did you go back to sleep? And she goes, well, Kim, literally, my sleep's important to me. If I'm going to do anything about it, I need to make sure I've got all my wits about me the next day. And it was just such an interesting way of looking at it. But mm. back to my point in hand, Amazing. you know, we sit here in our little world, particularly for us in Australia and New Zealand, you know, terrorism does not seem to literally attack Australia and New Zealand. But the impact, the global impact and the fear that you're talking about around travelling and where we go, am I right in assuming the greatest places hit are like the Middle East and um, perhaps Pakistan and and India and Yemen and and all of these places? Why is it those places that are attacked? Like, can you give me any reasoning around why is it those places that are the central universe of, of this terrorism? Yeah, I, you know, I don't actually know, and I've and I do want to do a little bit of research into that because I I can't understand why Paris and Nice and those sorts of places are um, are being attacked because there's a lot of um, I, I I know it's I know it's political. I know that it's political. I've, I've asked heaps and heaps of people about it and it all comes back to a political supportive role that they play. Um, but I, I don't actually know the detail of it and I'd, and I'd just be making it up if I did. But I think it fascinates me because I think I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I said, why are they attacking small places? You know, like whether Nice was a terrorism attack or not, you, you know, is, is still yet to be determined or whether it was just one crazed person. Um <clears throat> but such beautiful small places, even like Paris, you know, mm. not so long ago. Mm. And I was talking to somebody and I said, is it because if they attack those places, they know that they don't have the firepower to respond. But if they attack America, which is where the great hate lives, um, America will annihilate them. And I said, is that why, is that, is that why they go after these smaller places? And, some, and the person I was talking to said, absolutely yes. Because if they go after the actual target, they'll be annihilated. Whereas if they go after these smaller places, they get the they get the publicity, they get the message across. They you know, and and they're not under a great threat of, of of retaliation. So I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't know. It just it, it just it seems very bizarre to me. I'll be honest. But I think that you know, I think if if anything's going to shift or if anything's going to if anything's going to change, it has to happen at the individual level because from a governmental perspective, it's just it, it's not going to happen because there's too much at stake for them. And, you know, if you think about our governments and even the American governments, you know, they, they have very short terms in government and they're just doing the best that they can while they're there. They're not necessarily thinking about the next 25 years. They're just thinking about their term and the changes that they can make in their term to ensure that they get voted in next term. So I think if it's if there's going to be any changes, it has to happen on a community level. And I think that, you know, if we can somehow take greater responsibility for ending the war within, ending the war without, with everything, then it takes that, um, 
that warring mentality out of the, um, and I'm going to say the zero point field, but it's not there really. It's 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 in the it's in the in, it's in the day to day activity of being human. It takes that warring mentality out, and instead of saying, "Oh, I'm going to throw love, I'm going to throw peace," that's not what they're looking for. None of us. Are, I mean, of course, love is important, but love comes as a result of acceptance. And I think if we can be in a state of acceptance of ourselves, acceptance of each other, acceptance of Mother Earth, acceptance of, of, of everything rather than being in resistance of everything, and we do that on an individual level and then we do it in our families, you know, like that beautiful poem that you speak of. Yeah. You know, it starts with the person, then it goes to the family, then it goes to the community, and then it goes to the country, and then it goes to the world. So it's like there's no other way to create forever change no one's going to do it for us and unfortunately the circumstances are the way they are and for us to be in a state of resistance meaning being at war with terrorism and being at war with people who are different to us it doesn't make any changes all it does is it exaggerates the problem because if somebody if if you think you're right Kimmy you imagine this if you think that your belief about something is right like you know peppermint oil if you think that your belief about peppermint oil is right and then I come in guns blazing telling you that you're so wrong, you're so bad, you don't know, you're going to defend yourself, aren't you? I mean, you're going to – and everybody's going to do the same thing. So I think it's really important. I think it's really interesting what you just raised there, that the world um, of terrorism, maybe it is just an outward reflection of what's really – happening on the inside i mean ultimately you know each one of us i'll never forget jacqueline you and any of you have listened to jacqueline's interview um it's probably oh i think karen will be going back about 18 months now that we interviewed beautiful um, jacqueline but she was she's very big on living by five truths and or five philosophies for living and, and one of them is, is truth. So always tell the truth. Always be your truth. Um, the truth is what truly matters. And then I guess that's up for even grabs because what some people believe is truth, other people may not believe in truth. But I guess fundamentally what she's talking about is tell the truth. You know, there's no point lying. She has another one that she talks about, which is the right conduct. So for us to each live a truly whole life, if we can live with right conduct, you know, treat people with kindness, look after one another. Um, Maybe for men, opening doors for women could be seen as right conduct. Maybe saying thank you for a meal or, you know, serving others. Right conduct is being a good person and doing the right thing as far as being a good human being is concerned. She talks a lot about peace, that peace is one of the most important things for us all to abide by, peace within first and foremost, so practicing stillness, really being aware of what it is to have quietness and and the essence of stillness, which is, the I think, the, the way she explained it to me is the more still we are, the more we hear and the more we're able to understand. So stillness and peace is very important to her. And then, of course, love. I mean, without love, it is incredible how um, as a universe, as a people, as an individual, you know, I read this amazing quote the other day and it just, um, it really hit home for me in a situation of what, you know, the absence of love, none of us realise how important it is until we realise without it, it can actually make the human mind go crazy. It Mm. literally, I mean, they've done hideous tests on monkeys that when they're born, they're not Mm. touched and they're not allowed and they die very, very quickly. And we only have to see that with neglect within the human race to see without touch, without love, the human mind can go crazy. We we literally go insane without love. Mm. And then her final point is, or her fifth truth to live by or fifth fundamental principle to live by is nonviolence. And she said that's one of the biggest. But for her, nonviolence isn't just about whether or not you smack somebody as a parent or whether or not you hit somebody out of sheer anger and frustration. It's not just violence in the streets or driving erratically. To her, it came back to 
yelling at somebody is a form of violence. Saying nasty things about somebody is a form of violence. Um, it was very important to her that we put up signs around our house and we've, I've only just really noticed that I've taken them down and that's because even when the children were very little, we had signs all around the house. We just printed them off on a photocopier that said, speak softly. And that was our way of interpreting nonviolence. So, you know, I asked her very vehemently, what did she think about, you know, adults smacking children, parents smacking a child that's misbehaved? And she felt it was totally unnecessary. And I said, but what about a child that goes to touch something and a parent just casually touches, you know, smacks the hand? No, you know, and she said, no, it's a form of violence. She said, that's, that's parenting with fear. In mm. other words, you teach the child to be afraid of doing it rather than being wise about it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, sometimes as a parent, oh, you know, wow. you really want to, to teach a child that's no, that's a no-go zone. And until they're intelligent enough to understand why, then, and then when I look at the, the animal kingdom, you know, when a, a, a mother lioness is getting annoyed with her cubs, she'll nip them or she'll whack them or she'll, yeah, so yeah. I don't know, I don't know, I'm kind of not sure about that one, but I could understand, <laughs> not that I smack my children, but there was a time when Jacob was very little and I remember smacking his hand when he, um, I, I can't remember exactly what he'd done, but there was something and I remember smacking it. And I, I don't bet know you I feel sh- like smacking him nowadays too, though. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd end up more hurt. Um, but there was a moment, and I can't believe I'm going to share this. I don't know if I've shared it, but I do remember having a very poignant moment around this point of nonviolence as a mother. Um, I was really tired. I had two young children. They were both under the age of four. I had, um, you know, I was writing book. I was... Danny was away. I was where we're renovating a house. Like seriously, I felt like the world was imploding at one point. So I was exhausted. We got up in the morning. The kids weren't doing as I was asked. They were erratic and full on. And I'm sure many mums and dads listening to this will understand my dilemma when thing, you ask them to do something they're not. Then they were fighting and arguing amongst themselves. And and then Taylor had taken something of Jacob's and he had done something back at her. And anyway, by the time I got them in the car, they were both really fractious and annoyed. And then the next minute, um, Taylor, Jacob was trying to pinch Taylor. She bit him. He then turned around and absolutely whacked her. And I've turned around from the front seat of the car and turned around and so cross, grabbed Jacob's hand, and I've gone, as I'm smacking him on the hand, how many times have I told you you do not smack when you're angry? Oh, no. And the the poignancy in that moment, the... The absolute horror I felt in myself and the remorse instantly that I felt as a mother smacking my child angry because, and telling him not to hurt someone else because he's angry. I, I don't know if you can imagine it, but if I was oh, like this, it, oh, my gosh, I turned around and sat there absolute tears running down my face about what a terrible mother I was about how awful I was and how much I'd failed and that you know I've always believed if the universe had a camera on you and it was shined out to the world 24-7 would you be proud of your behavior would you do the things that you do or say the things that you say particularly to partners and to to children perhaps or or people that we love the most if that was being beamed out to the world would you be proud of it and in that moment I can honestly say to you I sat there and and in a way the reason why I bring it up is surely if we do not get a grip on non-violence from an inner place Mm. a place of who we truly are as a in our families in our relationships in our work then how can we sit here pointing fingers at ISIS or Al-Qaeda or I don't know, the PLO, whatever it is, if we can sit there pointing fingers, is it not the same to turn around and I'm not suggesting that any of us would go out and wanting to drive a a a truck at 100k an hour through a street of of populated people, but, you know, the war on terrorism, is it not just a reflection of the war that sometimes goes on within? Oh, look, I think it, I, 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 I can't imagine that it could be anything else. You know, I, I can't. I can't believe that it could be anything else. I, th- I think it's almost as if, you know, 
the great intelligent powers that be recognised that that warring was a way of being inside of humanity and then now they've just given us a way to make that come to life through terrorism and, and given it a reason to occur, you know, through, with, with oil and, and, and political, religious, financial, whatever. I think that I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I mean, you know, with kids and discipline and all those sorts of things, everybody's got to do what they think is right. And I, 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 but, but I think it's even, even after you smacked Jacob, you then went to war with yourself, didn't you? Like, you know, so it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a delicate issue and it's such, a, it's, it's such an internal experience that we're so unconscious of and we're so unaware of. But I think energetically and spiritually, it's the number one thing that, uh, if anything, it holds us back from our growth and our enlightenment, if we're looking at it from that level, because it keeps us very trapped inside of a way of being that is in, it's, it's in direct conflict to what we ultimately want. We ultimately want peace and love and acceptance and bliss and joy and playfulness and fun and experience and enthusiasm. I mean, we ultimately want all of those things. But this internal and external war with everything around us and everything inside of us, it's the number one thing that holds us back from the very thing that we want the most. And nobody else is going to give it to us. We have to, we have to take responsibility for creating it for ourselves. We have to take responsibility for the awareness of when it's occurring. You know, I would encourage everybody who's listening to this show today, you know, if you, if you, if you get anything out of the show, just bring your awareness to your behavior and to the conversations that you have between your two ears. Like, you know, when you are cutting an onion, I noticed this myself the other night because I never cook, but I was making myself a vegetable soup, soup the other night and the onion made me cry. And I threw the onion in the sink and I went, damn onion. It was making me cry. It was stinging my eyes. And then I wiped my eyes with onion fingers and it just made it worse. And I thought, no, 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 no. One must love the onion. One must be in acceptance of the onion. One cannot, one, one cannot hate the onion. Because just the week before, the onion was my best friend. I was rubbing it on my feet. It was next to my bed and it was in my bloody onion-flavoured honey because I'd lost my voice when I was delivering Mindset Mastery. <laughs> I heard, darling, I heard. Oh, dear oh me, dear oh. So, you know, one day I'm loving the onion and then the next day I'm hating the onion. So, you know. Well, therein lies the point, though. Therein lies the point. Yeah. Who we are in, our, in that moment, in that state, depends on our, on our um, reaction to something. So going back to just the example as a parent with Taylor and Jacob in the back seat, biting, pinching, hitting and all that sort of thing. If I, I know myself when I'm well rested, when I'm happy, when I'm feeling not overwhelmed, when I'm feeling or I've had a bit of a break or I've done a walk on the beach or I've been for a run, I'm a better person. And when those situations, when those conflicts, when those challenges arise, I handle them better. So, you know, really, ultimately, how we behave determines on how well we're looking after ourselves, which comes back to self-care, which comes back to the self-respect and self-love that we have for ourselves and making sure that those moments of going for a run or getting a good night's sleep or having a bath or doing all those those little seemingly unimportant things actually combine to create a much more balanced, more happier individual who therefore may handle the challenges and conflicts with a lot more adult-like behavior rather than critical or childlike or whatever it is. So mm. I think you've made a really good point there. The onion was your friend when you needed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I saw a quote on Facebook the other day. I never thought I was a bully until I heard how I speak to myself. Mm. I now think I owe myself a huge apology. You know, it's really important that we take a look within. But here's another question I wanted to ask you. Throughout history, throughout absolutely since the moment we knew there was Homo sapiens on this planet, we've always had wars. 
Mm. We've always had men battling or mm. having the Colosseum with two men into one man leave mentality or fighting for love or fighting for a woman or fighting for land or fighting for oil or like are we delusional to think that just by loving ourselves more that that would stop war? Maybe, but I don't think we've ever tried it. And I don't know that there's any other solution. Um, I think that there will always be conflict because there will always be contrast. You know, there will always be my belief versus your belief, your thought versus my thought, what I know versus what you know. I think there will always be conflict because there will always be contrast. But I think that for the most part we can um, we can potentially reduce the impact of it. And I think that, and, and I mean this in no disrespect at all, but if you look at the animal kingdom, you know, it's the males that protect the territories. It's the males that protect the pride. It's the males that do the, you know, that, that, that keep things together. So, you know, it's, and it's the females that provide the nurturing and the love and the support. And I think that because potentially women are a little bit displaced, maybe, maybe we've kind of um, lost focus on the necessity to um, create that balance in the home and balance in ourselves, we've developed our masculinity um, dramatically, which, you know, uh, I think was necessary, but potentially we've maybe, we've gone too far maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that potentially that the development of the masculinity inside of the women and the loss of the femininity inside of the men means that it's, you know, there's no femininity that's actually creating the balance which is why the scales are out of balance now because it is a natural male tendency. And I don't mean men. I mean, you know, if we look at each one of us almost as we, as an androgynous being, we have male and female inside of each of us. Mm. And it's our job to make sure that both are in balance. And I think because women have become so independent and it's, you know, our lives have become very much driven by money and very much about success and very much about achievement and, you know, having our place and having our say. And I think we've done an amazing job to bring about that sense of equality. But I think that the requirement is that we create that balance inside of ourselves. We can have equality, but we've got to have equality inside of ourselves. We've got to have balance inside of ourselves. And men have got to do the same thing. And when we do that, then we're able to have that natural ebb and flow of, um, you know, love and contrast oh, I agree I couldn't agree with you more I've always believed and I teach this in my program is that the true core the fundamental the essence of a woman is to nourish and nurture and the key fundamental essence and role of a man is to provide and protect mm. and when we really honor those those roles and I'm not saying like you were saying you know it's not to say that we can't provide and protect and men can't nourish and nurture but the essence the role, if we really honoured those true roles of what each of us do, Jacqueline reckons women should not be in the front line. Jacqueline feels that women should not be running countries. I mean, she's she's 92. She has strong beliefs. She's French. She <laughs> Go back and listen to her podcast if anybody's listening to this and you haven't. Look up, um, I think we said a, a day with Jacqueline or just look up Jacqueline. Um, it's just a beautiful podcast, wasn't it, Karen? Oh, it was, she was amazing. Just, yeah, she's just a beautiful soul. But interesting. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I thought it was really interesting her beliefs on the role that women are trying to do. And before when you were talking about the animal kingdom and saying, you know, the if I think about a tribe, a tribe, sorry, a pack of lions, yeah. and, and I look at them and I think, oh, no, no, the, the woman goes out and hunts, the, the, mm. the female, the lioness, they're the hunters most of the time. Mm. But then I'm thinking, oh, that's part of nourishing, isn't it? They're getting the food. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> he's not going to do it. No, nah, nah, <laughs> but he'll be the first to eat. Oh, yeah. but, um, but, you know, it's kind of, you're right, it's really important sometimes the the natural rhythms of nature is something we could look back to and and Cindy's always talked about this, you know, women loving getting back in the kitchen and really cooking a beautiful home-cooked meal. It doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be chef-like, but really nourish your family and, and to nurture them in the way that we do. And then for men, a man, I'm sure, and please, any of the men listening, tell me this, but 
they feel nothing greater than knowing they've provided for their family. They've got a beautiful home for their, 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 their woman and their kids to be in and that they are able to contribute to the family by bringing that strength and tenacity and, and absolute warrior-like status to mm. making sure his family survives and thrives in the best way possible. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could go back or have a look at that in a really, everyone listening to this, perhaps look in their own family unit. You know, do we knock our husbands when they don't change the nappy properly or do we celebrate them for giving it a go? Or when a man's out there watching his woman mow the lawns, you know, or he, he sees that she's mowed the lawns, would we not celebrate her for doing something that was kind of more of a male? And I'm not trying to, gosh, I hope I'm not getting myself into trouble here, but you know what I'm you talking can see about. It now. I do, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, hey, listen, here's this quote that I found on love, because like, I think ultimately where this went was our real compassion around what happened in Nice and what's going on around the world. But mm. Um, fundamentally what you said um, that most of war happens based on fear certainly not on love mm. listen to this which is a quote from Dr Brian Weiss love is like a fluid it fills up crevices it fills empty spaces of its own accord it is we it is people who stop it by erecting false barriers and when love cannot fill our hearts and our minds when we are disconnected from our souls, which consist of love, then we go crazy. Now, I knew love was important, perhaps the most important thing in the world, but it never dawned on me that the absence of love could cause us to lose our minds. Mm, wow. Mm. And I think acts of terrorism, in a way, is, is a, as an act of losing our mind, that is not sane behaviour, no, regardless no. of your political or religious drives or, or intent. That is not sane behaviour. Yeah. I love this bit, and I've written it up on my wall at the moment. I've got it everywhere. The goal is to learn about love and compassion, about goodness and charity. It is not about becoming famous. <gasps> oh, I love that. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Oh, hello, hello, hello. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Oh, well, you know, it was it was actually really fascinating. I'm just going to end with this little note. I went to a, a festival yesterday in Brisbane. and there Splendor? Was... Did you go to Splendor, Kaz? Were you there rocking it for three days? No, Presh. No, no, not <laughs> Splendor. Yoga Fest. Oh, sorry. Complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but I might be going... Um, and there was this guy there who was doing um, Persian yoga and oh. he was, oh, my God, if you can Google Persian yoga, do it, Kimmy, Google it now, go ahead, Google it, girlfriend, you are going to fall off your chair and you see what I see. <laughs> Everybody, when you find your computers, go Google Persian yoga. And there is a guy who, um, if you look at his YouTube videos, he's in his 50s. And they have these huge big planks of wood and these giant big kettles um, that they use to as, as weights almost, but it's all about creating precision and skill in the movement. And he did a presentation. Oh, my God, this man is was pure muscle. He was lean and he was pure muscle and he stood there in his little Persian um, pants and no shirt Mm-hmm. And he did, he did a demonstration that just totally rocked everybody's socks off. And he um, spoke about how Persian yoga was developed at the same time that Indian yoga was developed. But Persian yoga was developed with the, with the intention of creating warriors because in India it was a far more peaceful country, whereas Persia and Iran was not a peaceful country. There was a lot of internal wars. And you had to be um, chosen to study Persian yoga because a Persian uh, warrior had to have the mindfulness of yoga, therefore to be able to make the intelligent decisions and have the intention of peace, but then still have the body of a warrior. And they had to have the chivalry of a warrior and they had to have the masculinity of a warrior, but they had to have the sensitivity of a yogi and the gentleness of a yogi and the um, awareness and connectedness to the earth as a yogi and whereas um, 
in Indian yogi, yoga it was all about connection to the divine and connection to spirit and source. Persian yoga was connection to the planet, connection, connection to the earth and connection to the animals. And, oh, my goodness, it was oh, just... I'm liking what I'm seeing in the imagery. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Christmas. Yeah, well, I met him, met him. And, and the line, if you want to receive, it says, give it to me. I'm up there. I'm in there. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And you know, when he was delivering his presentation, he was so captivating, you know. I mean, this Iranian man, Persian man, he because Iran is, is Persian, so he he was this very lean, incredibly strong, unbelievably muscular man. But when you see a man stand and speak of being a warrior who's connected to the planet, who's chivalrous who understands the sensitivities of nature and understands the sensitivities of the woman, but he in himself is trained, looks like, presents as and is the warrior soul. I can tell you now there was not a woman in that room that heart was not on a platter and on offer for that man. It was unbelievable. And it was, it was so perfect to be able to see a masculine man like that so in touch with his androgynousnessity. Yeah. Do you know what I, I, I mean? I love that word. I love that word. <laughs> it's so not a word. <laughs> we'll, make it, we'll make it a word because I know you've got new words. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that, there was nothing more compelling about that masculine oh, yeah. energy. And I think that if a person can really, and, you know, maybe yoga is a key, you know, the, the, and that's just something I'm thinking of now, but yoga, the word yoga means harmony. It means unity. And um, it's unity of one. So unity of me with me, me, me and me with you, me with the earth and me with the planet and me with the cosmos and me with awareness and me with consciousness. It's unity with me with the animals. Everything is around unity. So yoga is not just actually an exercise. Yoga is a way of being and maybe, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for people who are feeling particularly disconnected or particularly lost. Maybe yoga is a way to, to, to get in. It's a way yeah. in. I don't I think know. So. Even my son has asked, these, there's a beautiful um, trainer at our gym and he honestly, Anthony, he looks like a um, – he looks like a praying mantis and the way oh. he moves, these long limbs of his. And and he's got Jacob now. Jacob's turned around to me. I mean, hello, those of you with teenage sons. But um, he's turned around and he said, Mum, I think I'd, I'd really like to do yoga because he's understanding now how important his body is from recovery from rugby and recovery from basketball and recovery from all the athletics that he does. Mm-hmm. That one of the keys that Anthony talks about is the, the movement and the principles of yoga. So he's now asked, and Taylor, as a ballerina, has said, Mum, I've taken Taylor to yoga before, and as a flip from a flexible point of view, she nails it hands yeah. down. There's no problem with any of the flexibility yeah. from a strength. And a real holding each one of those intrinsic muscles to the core, she saw. So, you know, there was a lot of weakness. And seeing this beautiful Persian warrior type kind of thing, it's to me it's about what you were just saying about seeing that man up there. I'm mm. sure men would have the same thing around woman, a beautiful, soft, nurturing, amazing woman, but with strength, mm. compassion, connectedness, and love. You know, when you see a woman oozing with love, I mean, when you started this podcast, your giggly, beautiful, amazing <laughs> voice, I've so missed it, um, <laughs> but that is infectious, and I'm sure um, that everybody feels the same when you're around people that exude love and passion and excitement and harmony and truth and you can see it in their eyes and you know when I watch you delivering mindset mastery and when I see you delivering and when I hear you on these podcasts and the same for Cindy when I hear each of you and each of us go into our truth or our core when you say that's why there's such love that's why there's such a mutual admiration society going on and that's why we have such connection with the listeners because they are us we are them and it's such a beautiful interesting intrinsic um, tapestry of the way we all connect through this simple little thing called a podcast. I love it. If we can overcome terrorism or the impact of terrorism by getting back to the true core, which is away from fear or acknowledging and honoring the fear, but working through love, wouldn't that be a key? Well, you just never know, Miss Kimmy. 
You just never know the ripple effect of what can be created with more and more and more of us going through this great wake up, I think then, you know, the best is yet to come. And I think, yeah, I, I'm ex- I, I think I, I feel excited when I think about that. Yeah. I do. I feel excited when I think about that. I do too, baby. Oh, I've loved this. Thank you. I yeah, really, no, I was so worried about what chat. happened in Nice and I really wanted to hear your thoughts on that. So I really, yeah, I've really loved it. Thank you, beautiful girl. And you're so sweet. You know, I remember when I sent you a text message and I said, are you okay? And you said, I don't even know what's happened. <laughs> I remember, right? And I had maybe eight or nine people sending me messages saying, can you please let us know if Kim's okay? And oh. I went back to them and I said, she doesn't even know what's happened. So I said, so no, <laughs> she's all good. She's all good. Oh, thank <laughs> you to those you... of you that texted and messaged me. And, yeah. you know, we've always, you know, when you, it's always comes, it comes right into your home when mm. you know people are in those areas. And not to say that we don't think about the people that are affected, but it does hit a chord, doesn't it, even closer when someone you know is in those areas. Yeah, it becomes very close to home. Yeah, definitely. But we're very glad that you were safe. Oh, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Well, to everybody who's been listening to today's show, we would love to hear your comments. We have had a couple of very controversial things to say today. (laughs) So we would love to hear your comments. Engage in the conversation with us. You know, this this has been a fairly um, intense podcast, and I think that you know, you guys are all going to have your own thoughts and you're going to have your own slant on it. And we want to know. We want to know what you think because potentially there could be a whole conversation generated out of this that could have a ripple effect beyond your wildest expectations. So don't hold back. Really dive in. Go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also post your comments on allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So join us here next week where we're going to bring you more awesome stuff and we're going to take you on the ride of shizzleness. So join us here right same time, same station, right here on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We love having you on the ride. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.